This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, September 25th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, arrest follows an unsettled evening in Telluride, measuring up the ballot, Proposition II, Pinterns prep to present, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, San Miguel County Search and Rescue responded to an injured hiker on the Bridal Veil Trail this weekend. A 24-year-old hiker from Ohio slipped and fell, hurting her ankle while hiking up the trail on Sunday afternoon. Search and Rescue, responding alongside the Telluride Fire Protection District, transported the woman to the Telluride Medical Center for further care. The mission took roughly two hours. In events familiar to nearly all in Telluride, last Tuesday evening, September 19th, a road rage incident escalated amidst threats of violence, resulting in a shelter-in-place order, which shut down a large chunk of Telluride for over three hours. Telluride's Chief Marshal Josh Compt recalls that after the initial road rage incident on Colorado Avenue, the suspect followed our victims back to where they were staying, which was off Galena Avenue, and then that's where he confronted them and brandished the firearm. The aggressor subsequently disappeared on foot into the night. As law enforcement searched the area, they advised anyone in the vicinity of Davis Street or Galena or Columbia Avenue to stay put. Comp says casting such a large area under lockdown is a relatively standard police technique. It's much harder to kind of try to set a very small containment area. And then if the suspect or whoever we're looking for happens to break that, it's much harder than to try to regain that ground and, and establish a larger perimeter. So oftentimes in any sort of police incident where they're, they're looking for someone, they're going to typically set up a larger perimeter. Based on searching vehicle registration records and past run-ins with law enforcement, the Marshal's Department was able to identify a suspect. And the following day, it issued an arrest warrant. It appears the suspect hid in town overnight on Tuesday, says Compt. The initial information we have is that he was within our, within our perimeter, however, it was with a, in our friend's residence. And then it sounds like he may have left early the next morning. He then relocated to his residence in Norwood. On Thursday afternoon, the suspect, identified as Andrew Michael Kelland, contacted the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office and agreed to peacefully turn himself in. He's being held by San Miguel County on bail. Three felony charges have been filed. Are there any loose threads for the Marshal's Department here in Telluride? For this case, no. So our investigation's wrapped up on it. Um... So what's, you know, it's in the hands of the district attorneys at this point. So it's going to be the, the legal process going forward and, and what happens. But, Comp says, the department will perform an after-action review and gather key takeaways from the anxious evening last Tuesday and the events which unfolded in the following days. Comp says the Marshal's Department has already heard from a number of voices here in Telluride. Um, I think the community at whole, there's there's obviously, I think, a lot of frustration with the communication and how it initially rolled out. Um, you know, we've looked at our internal policies and procedures and how we could have done that better. Things kind of got a little complicated in that you had three agencies that were involved in that. Um, so that's definitely a, a priority is to make sure that's kind of cleaned up in the in the event this happens again in the future. Compt adds releasing information about a suspect prematurely can endanger the effectiveness of an investigation. He says the Marshal's Department will always release information as soon as it's able to. But during complex events, the patience of the public 
is appreciated. On Mondays, in the run-up to the November election, Kodo News will be covering this year's ballot initiatives. Our coverage kicks off today with the profile of Proposition II, which addresses funding for childcare. As back-to-school season hit Colorado a month or so ago, a new program opened doors for the state's four-year-olds. September 2023 marks the first month of universal pre-K for Colorado families. Marine Randall has been organizing the program's rollout in our region with the child care advocacy group Bright Futures. Randall reports the program is off to a great start. In San Miguel County, all of our providers who offer um, care to four-year-olds or pre-K have participated. So that is amazing. And we have 45 four-year-olds that have um, enrolled and been matched with those providers. The state's universal pre-K program came out of a ballot measure passed in the November 2020 election known as Proposition EE. And that taxes nicotine products to fund public schools, housing initiatives, and UPK. The state estimated it would collect a chunk of change from nicotine sales. That money would fund its new pre-K program, continues Randall. They have collected significantly more in revenue than was initially estimated. The state actually collected almost $25 million more than it anticipated, a substantial windfall for supporting early childhood education in Colorado. But rules around taxation complicate the picture. The state has a taxpayer bill of rights, known as TABOR, which states that if Colorado issues a new tax and collects more than it thought it would, it has to return those excess funds to the group affected, unless Colorado voters allow the state to keep the money. This leads to a new ballot measure, appearing in this November's election, called Proposition II, explains Randall. Um, so here is where Prop II comes in. Voters need to vote whether or not they are going to return the money to the nicotine companies or if they're going to allow the state to keep it and to have it transferred to um, universal preschool. Randall points out that the funds would not be returned to taxpayers in Colorado, but rather they'd go back to the nicotine companies whose products were taxed in the first place. Kathy Barber, the Strong Start coordinator with Bright Futures, says strengthening early childhood education in our area is a matter of directing more resources and more livable wages to our pre-K teachers. As we are increasing our daily tuition to closer meet the needs of the staff and the you know em- employers of these programs, we need more funding to offset those higher costs. So UPK is so beneficial. The UPK program has directed roughly $25,000 in funding to San Miguel County providers and families in its first month alone. 45 families are participating, receiving 15 hours or more of free pre-K every week. Additionally, Strong Start provides another stream of funding to 60 or so families in the county. So it's over a third of our families who are currently enrolled in child care who are able to tap in to additional funding to help offset the high cost. Proposition II appears on the ballot this fall. 
This story is part of KOTO's election coverage. For more information, visit www.koto.org slash 2023-election-coverage. Each summer, the Pinhead Institute supports and sponsors a group of regional high schoolers to pursue an internship in a science, technology, engineering, or math field of choice. Then, each fall, those interns present on their experiences and their travels. This year's presentations are coming up tomorrow at the Sheridan Opera House, so Kodo sat down with a handful of pinterns for a sneak preview. So my name is Loudon Demland. My name is Cheska Ruption, and I go to the Telluride High School. I am a senior this year, but I do live in Norwood, and I commute every day. And my name is Brooke Duncan. I'm also a senior here in Telluride. Ruption, for her internship, studied entomology in Crested Butte, Colorado. As a young kid, um, I'd always find myself out in the garden, um, picking up logs and rocks and just trying to discover whatever I could. Um, I thought it was such a fascinating little world. And when I heard about the Pinhead internship, I knew it was a great opportunity because I could solidify um, my idea if I did want to go into entomology. And it definitely did that for me. Duncan stayed in Telluride and studied the computer technology of the moment. For my internship, I did um, AI integration and software development with Agile onboarding. My mentor was Basa Mustafa, who's actually from here, from Telluride, and I stayed here. His team is spread out all over the country, DC, Florida, Nevada, and Colorado. So I was working closely with him, but spent a lot of time in meetings with his other coworkers and employees to learn about their piece of a really big puzzle that we were all working on together. And Domland traveled to Boulder, where he worked in an astrophysics lab. I did a few things. One of the main thing that I did was designing a stencil that we would put on like a solar cell that would go up to space. I get to tell my friends and family that I did something that's going to space. Like it's not like a big thing, like it's just stencil for glue, but it is going up to space, which I find pretty sweet. So we sublet a college house, which was definitely a lot of fun, but like sometimes we'd wake up at like 3 a.m. to like music when we'd have a work day to be there at 8 a.m. But it was it was great. I mean, we found a balance and I kind of learned what I wanted to like, what I needed. Ruption's mentor was a former Pintern himself, also from Norwood, who went on to Harvard where he's pursuing a PhD in entomology. His research brought him back to Colorado, and as Ruption joined him, she has a key takeaway relating back to the place she calls home. Yeah, I do. It was really interesting getting to work with Colorado insects specifically in like native species, because I feel like when you look at like nature documentaries, they're always very like foreign and like fantastical giant butterflies from like the rainforest so it was cool to see like our native indigenous species i can like name like oh that's a potentilla fruticosa and like the scientific names i'm more familiar with now the advice of this year's pinterns you guys should apply to be pinterns it's really cool and thank you sarah and thank you pinhead
do it. It's worth it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. To learn more about the summer experiences of this year's Pinhead interns, show up to the Sheridan Opera House tomorrow, Tuesday the 26th. There will be a reception at 5 p.m. and presentations will begin at 6. The event will be emceed by Pinhead director Sarah Holbrook and interns will share their wisdom from a summer of STEM. The San Miguel County Road and Bridge Department is performing some late season chip and seal work here in the East End. Work is underway today, Monday the 25th on the airport road off the Telluride Spur and it should wrap up shortly. On Tuesday the 26th, chip and seal efforts will expand to the north end of the Ilium Road between Highway 145 and Two Rivers. Expect delays in those areas early this week. Chip and seal is a paving technique used on rural roads, which is applied quickly to improve the existing road surface. Colorado teachers have another opportunity to get funding for classroom supplies. As KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports, a state program that ran out of money last month is getting a second round of investment. The Donors Choose program offers teachers up to $1,000 for classroom supplies, teaching materials, and mental health resources for students. The program launched last month but ran out of money in just eight days due to high demand. More than 2,300 teachers received funding. Broomfield first grade teacher Sarah Sloan was one of them. She says she usually spends hundreds of dollars of her own money on supplies each year. I got so many cool things that I would pay for my own I was able to get that we use every single day and enhance all of my students. Governor Jared Polis announced the program's new funding this week, which he says will be enough to serve seven to 10,000 teachers. Those who received money in the first round can apply again. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Broomfield. The Navajo Tribal Utility Authority has completed a new solar plant in Red Mesa, Utah. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has this report. In August, the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority started generating electricity at its Red Mesa Tapaha power plant. It's the utility's third large-scale solar plant on the Navajo Nation. The plant will generate up to 72 megawatts of electricity and will serve 16 communities across Utah, as well as three chapters of the Navajo Nation. Anywhere from 60 to 80,000 uh, homes could be served. Glenn Steiger is an executive consultant at the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority. There's still 14,000 families on Navajo Nation that are unserved by electric power. So some of the revenue that we receive from the solar plants goes toward the building of our electric system to serve those folks. The total cost of the project was $110 million, which included some support from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Steiger says federal funding makes solar projects economically viable on a reservation with lots of sunshine. There's a significant amount of solar irradiation available uh, during the year, which makes it uh, very, very uh, applicable. For solar generation. Later this year, the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority will break ground on a 200 megawatt utility scale solar plant for construction in Cameron, Arizona, the company's biggest solar project to date. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a clear night tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Tuesday, expect sun with a high near 70 degrees, followed by a clear night and a low around 40. Wednesday should bring more sun with a high near 70 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Monday, September 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.